2: Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, uh, we are going to be talking about COVID. Uh, On this show, I love to bring you information about, of course, how to stay healthy and fit. And we focus on prevention and wellness. And adopting those habits that help us stay well. We got to talk about COVID today because it is the tsunami that is in front of us. And um, there's a lot of misinformation out there, a lot of untrusted information out there. And um, I wouldn't be doing my job as a preventive medicine provider if I didn't try to answer any questions that you may have um, related to things. So if you have a question or a comment for us, you can give me a call today. My number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. You can always email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can go over to Facebook uh, to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop me a message um, there. So any of those ways to get in touch with me, and I've been getting actually a, a Pretty healthy amount of messages just through my regular personal Facebook today that, that we will uh, go through and and talk about as well. Hey, Josie. Um, yeah, absolutely.
3: We have an early caller on the line.
2: Well, let, lay it on me.
3: We got uh, Larry calling in from Georgia.
2: All right. Larry from Georgia, you're on the air with us today. What can I do for you?
4: Oh, good morning. Hi. Can you hear me okay?
2: I can. Go ahead. Okay,
4: Good, thank you. Well, well, let me tell you why I'm calling. I'm calling because I'm 73 years young. Um, Of course, you know, my age, I have a prostate situation. So for a while, I've been taking finasteride, five milligrams per day to to reduce my prostate. Now, Uh a few months ago, about a month or so ago, uh uh, discovered a a kidney stone in my bladder, but he also recommended a procedure for me called a, I hope I said this right, a transurethal a, a resection of, of prostate. Yes. So now I'm going to ask my Rogers about that, but I wanted to call you to get a second opinion. I'm just mm-hmm. concerned, for example, you know, I mean, I mean, compared to taking finasteride, do I need this procedure? And will this procedure affect my, my libido in any way?
2: Excellent. So good question. So your, the procedure you mentioned is a kind of abbreviated TERP. T-U-R-P, transurethral resection of the prostate, and it is a procedure that kind of helps um, cut away some of the, the portion of that prostate to allow um, urine to flow through. So you've already yes. been yes. on the the medicine that we would, would normally do. So it sounds like your condition has kind of escalated to the point where medication is not controlling the symptoms enough to keep things from, from being a problem for you. Um, and so they're recommending... Uh, if the I, surgery if, I, if I
4: can say one thing, I'm just having a little hard time hearing you. I don't know if it's your phone or my phone, but I just want to pass that on.
2: Yeah, you're cutting out a little bit on me too. Um, I was just uh, kind of briefly explaining the the, that procedure that you were talking about and that what it sounds like is you've been on the medication for a while, which which would be the appropriate kind of initial step for that. Uh, And then Uh, leading into that not controlling your symptoms or having the development of this this stone formation now and the potential for that to to kind of stop up uh, drainage of of urine and those kinds of things that they're recommending Uh progression to this kind of resection of the prostate a little bit, right? Yes. Yes. And so, you know, in terms of a second opinion, that's a little hard to to kind of give over the the radio because I don't have your complete, of course, medical record in front of me to look at, you know, look at all these things, size of the stone, where it is, how many you've had before that, you know, on and on. Lots of different stuff there. Um, You know, I would say if you're concerned at all about proceeding with this, then a second opinion from an additional urologist would probably be. Uh, my recommendation okay. to go there, um, you know, and that's completely appropriate. You know, before any surgical procedure, you know, getting a second opinion right. is is a smart thing to do. Um, but another urologist would be the way to go um, to go okay. from from there uh, okay. on that to make sure that you. Well, thanks,
4: you know, thank, all thank you so much. I, I appreciate in. it. Bye
2: bye. Oh, you're so welcome, and thank you so much for calling us today. Great reminder that if there are any kind of health and wellness questions that you have, we're happy to take those today. It doesn't have to be COVID-related, um, but I got to address some of the things that uh, that I've been getting. And so, if you have a question or a comment for us, that number is one eight seven seven M P B ring. All right. So one of the uh, the things that I've done this past week is kind of put out a plea for folks to speak to a trusted healthcare provider. Um, someone that they trust when they are seeking information about COVID-19. And I hope that I have uh, proven over the past however many years I've been doing this show that my dedication and my promise to you is to always provide you with evidence-based information and what the science is telling us. And if we just don't know based off what the science is saying, then that is what I'll tell you as well. And so this past week, I've really been led to talk about the fact that we're really, really divided. Um, right now on things. Um, And we tend to put each other into camps of being anti-vax or anti-mask or pro-vax and pro-mask. And at the heart of it, we're all just people. Um, You know, if you're listening to me from the great state of Mississippi, we're all just Mississippians. Uh, And the pledge I took uh, 19 years ago was to uh, do my best for the people entrusted into my care, and that is the people of the great state of Mississippi and our surrounding states, you guys as well. And so I want to be very, very uh, transparent when we talk through some of these questions and concerns that people have, because that's how we, how we move health forward, where we're not um, shouting at each other, we're not arguing with each other, that we're having real frank, honest conversations with each other about what our concerns are. Now, that goes both ways. Uh, healthcare providers, we have to be um, open to hearing those questions and concerns. And then the person that asks them also has to be open to hearing um, what, what the science and evidence is, is telling us uh, right now. And that's how we move forward on things. And so uh, one of the most common things I get, uh, common questions I get is, um, the vaccine isn't working because we're seeing breakthrough infections. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what a breakthrough infection is and go through some of the some of the statistics that we're looking at right now. And so uh, when we talk about breakthrough infections, that is a, uh, a COVID infection in someone who is fully vaccinated. And so fully vaccinated, uh, to be considered fully vaccinated, that is, Um, if you've received one of the mRNA vaccines, so Moderna or Pfizer, then you are two weeks past your second dose of that. Um, Or if you've received the one-dose Johnson & Johnson, you are two weeks past that one-dose Johnson & Johnson. That is fully vaccinated. And so uh, I think we all kind of anecdotally hear more and more about breakthrough infections. And so uh, that's concerning, right? So you think, well, if I'm going to get it anyway, What's the point of getting a vaccine? Let's talk about the fact that no vaccines are 100% effective. No therapeutic is 100% effective at things. Um, So, what we're talking about is risk reduction and the prevention of um, worsening symptoms, right? In the medical world, we talk about, things that are primary prevention, secondary prevention, and tertiary prevention. And from a tertiary prevention standpoint, that's kind of when we, when somebody already has an illness and we're trying to keep it from um, getting worse, right, or, or developing additional um, problems related to that. Um, think about that kind of, uh, like, when you have diabetes and we give you medications to help protect your kidneys. We're trying to prevent uh, diabetic-associated kidney issues, right, tertiary prevention. Secondary prevention is a lot of when we do screening exams, right? So you get your, your blood sugar or your A1C checked to pick up on disease at the earliest point in time so that we can prevent some of those complications from developing. And then primary prevention is trying to prevent the disease from ever happening to start with. And vaccines are uh, one of the kind of best tools we have in terms of communicable disease and being able to primarily prevent them. And these vaccines, even though we're hearing about breakthrough cases, are still incredibly effective okay, at preventing disease. If you look at the info and the and the graphics that are put out by um, the Mississippi Department of Health, they have that um, vac- fully vaccinated versus unvaccinated um, uh, kind of broken out in terms of cases, hospitalizations, and death. And the last graphic I saw put out was uh, last week, late last week, and it was 98% of new cases were unvaccinated with 2% being fully vaccinated. And so that's pretty doggone good risk reduction there in terms of developing um, developing uh, symptomatic COVID. Um, but even if it was not to that level, what is really, really exciting is then the prevention of um, worsening symptoms that require hospitalization or actual progression to death and the vaccines are very, very good against that as well. So, uh, if, if it doesn't keep you from getting it, it's all standing up very, very well against. Uh, more severe disease requiring hospitalization and death. So that's why we still kind of are are pushing that information out that, you know, even though you may get a breakthrough infection, it is very, very important to still vaccinate uh, because it is keeping you out of the hospital for the most part and significantly decreasing your risk of um, death from a COVID infection as well which are really, really important markers overall. And so if you have a question or a comment about that or, you know, I didn't explain it well enough or or you still have concerns there, I'm absolutely open to to hearing those because that's how we break down these barriers and and stop fighting with each other um, and start fighting COVID together. Um, That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Uh, One of the other questions uh, or kind of, Misinterpretations that I got this past week was uh, the the graphic that was put out and it showed, um, you know, like, and I don't want to misquote it, but I think it was somewhere around um, 11 or 12 percent of hospitalizations were in those that were vaccinated Um, And that was disturbing uh, to to see. But we got to think about the only way you get into that category of folks, right, the the hospitalized individuals, is you first have to get infected, right? And so looking at overall cases here in Mississippi, new cases, and only 2% of those being um, in fully vaccinated individuals, it's a very very small amount of vaccinated folks that actually wind up then moving into the hospitalized category and then moving into um the the category that unfortunately passed away from covid nineteen so um it is still a very strong, very um, protective um, way to prevent these really uh, unfortunate side effects of long term covid as well as uh, death and and
1: uh, complications from that I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell associate professor of preventive medicine and nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center thanks for listening to the southern remedy healthy and fit podcast if you have a question you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page healthy habits with Josie for ongoing information on staying healthy and fit subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app
2: Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy Input on MTV Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And we're talking uh, about COVID today. Uh, In particular, we just spent some time talking about the importance of continued um, vaccination efforts um, and the protection that that provides, uh, not only for symptomatic infection, but also progression to hospitalizations and death. Um, if you have any health and want related question, that is fine. I'm happy to answer those today. Um, I do have a fair amount of Facebook questions that have come in this morning with questions about um, COVID, so we will get to those. But if you have a question for us, our number is one mpb ring It's one 877 and our email is fit at org. if you want to message yeah
3: we do have a caller on the line all right so we'll say good morning to scotty ray in east tupelo all right
2: scotty ray good morning and you're on the air with us how can i help you
5: uh yeah my question might be better for a, a mpb bookkeeping show if there was one but <laughs> since there isn't i'll turn to y'all um I got vaccinated as soon as they let me hold my arm up. I was mm-hmm. extremely excited about it, and right on. Thank you, Mississippi, and the scientists. And But here's the deal. When I went back for my second shot, I had forgotten my card from the first one. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. So they
5: gave me two, and one of them has since become weathered,
4: mm-hmm. distressed.
5: And mm-hmm. so I need to know, is it possible for me to combine the two cards into one, or to replace the one that's faded?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great question, and you're not alone. Um, when folks show up uh, where I give vaccines, they've often forgotten that first card um, as well. So uh, the probably the, the most secure option for you, um, and you got it here in Mississippi, correct?
5: Yes, ma'am. Okay.
2: Would be to request your immunization record from the health department. Okay. And that way it would have both of them on on there on in an official um you know, an official immunization record there. So that's usually what um, what I recommend folks is to request that immunization record um there. I did you get it at one of the drive through sites or something like that?
5: Yes ma'am, at the convention yeah. center in Oxford.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, if it had been with your private, um, your private health care provider, then they likely could have reissued you another card. But with it being at one of those mass sites, I don't know that there's a mechanism in place for, you know, kind of reissuing one of those cards if they've been damaged or anything like that. Um, huh. So probably probably getting your immunization record, which you can request online, um, uh, would be the way to go.
0: So I don't have to go to the health department here in Lafayette <laughs> County. I can just go online.
2: You should be able to go online and get that. There's also um, a webso- website called MyIR. Hold on, let me make sure I got the, the end of it correctly. Uh, MyIRMobile.com, which stands for My Immunization Registry Mobile.com. Uh huh. And you can you can try there first. I didn't have as much luck getting mine from there just because um, I'm a girl and my last name has changed since.
0: My original original
2: (laughs) vaccine. uh, He should have changed uh, his name to
0: yours, but never mind. (laughs)
2: That's right. Never mind there. So um, mine took a little bit more, but, uh, you know, if you've kind of had the same name your whole life, that may be a a viable option for you as well. Mississippi does participate in that MyIR mobile um, platform, and you can try requesting it there. If you can't get it there, then you should be able to request um, through the health department.
4: Thank you so much.
2: You're so welcome. Thank you so much for giving us a call.
4: All right. Hey,
3: Josie, just interestingly enough, yep. Liz Dill is screening calls for us today. She just went okay. to that mobile IR thing and, and found uh-huh. her uh, immunization record.
2: Well, see, look at there. It, you know, and a lot of folks have been, had real, been really successful um, there. And actually, when you go to the health department website, which I just did, they link you to the myirmobile.com um, website as well. And so you just uh, sign in, pick Mississippi, um, you know, set, set up a little account and click find my records and fill out those steps. And that was quick if she got to it, uh, you know, in the span of that minute that we were talking on the phone there. So that's a great uh, kind of quick way to get get what you need there. All right. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one All right. One of the questions I got this morning, a great one. It uh, is also one that I get a lot that says um, her that this individual's coworker um, had tested positive for COVID and of course was out for her recommended quarantine or isolation period and has, uh, has returned back to work and still has a little bit of a call. Do they need to be retested before um, coming back to work? And the answer is no. Uh, usually we do not retest for that. That, um, especially the PCR test is likely to stay positive for, for quite a while, um, several weeks up to a couple of months, but not infectious, um, in that period. So the, uh, the quarantine or isolation period, uh, the, the minimum amount is 10 days for that although 14 days is great. And then if you are an immunocompromised individual, um, your quarantine may be a little bit longer. So the thought is that you could continue to spread it a little bit longer if you have some alterations to your immune system. Um, but the way, uh, the way we clear folks is after that quarantine period is over with, if they are fever-free for 24 hours, without medication, okay? So without Tylenol or, or ibuprofen or uh, naproxen or aspirin or any of these fever-reducing medications, and their symptoms are resolving, meaning shortness of breath is better, cough is better, all of those things are getting better, then that is a, um, a release to return back to work. Now, that does not mean we should just go mathless around, uh everyone we should still continue to each mask um, uh, as as appropriately over your nose and over your mouth but retesting is generally not recommended or required for a return to work
3: got right. another if caller, you have... Josie,
2: all right we've Go got ahead and uh, lay it on me.
3: this time we got ron who's called in from saltillo
2: okay. good morning ron how can i
0: help you well i just wanted to let you know um it, you may already know but today when i looked at the department of health mm-hmm. there is if you go to ms uh, what is ms gov, the department of health in mississippi they have a link if you've lost your vaccination card you can click on this link and it will take you to a page to get your vaccination record
2: yes yes absolutely um we uh we is it the my my ir what you're looking at to get your vaccination record? You know I haven't
0: I haven't clicked on it. I don't oh, know where it. it takes you. Okay. It, but you it I is on, it on, on the okay. It's on the Department of Health main page, so you know it might be easier for people. Go to the Mississippi Department of Health main page and click on that one link.
2: Absolutely. However we can make it easy for folks. That's how we want to do
1: it.
0: Well, I think Mississippi and Dr. Dobbs and all the folks that work down there are trying their best. So, you know, this is a time that we all need to be behind each other, and I appreciate your show.
2: Absolutely, and I appreciate you calling and, and giving that piece of advice there, and, and thank you for your support for, for public health here in Mississippi because they are working very, very hard to, to take care of everybody. All right. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. 1-877-672-7464. Hey, Joseph. Uh, ha- yeah.
3: I hate to keep interrupting like this, but
2: no, it's fine. You can't see me, so it's okay.
3: I just wanted to do a quick shout out. If you, if yeah. people who know me, know that I am not a big fan of Old Miss athletics. However, <laughs> I say huge props to the football program because I heard that they have one hundred percent. Uh, vaccination rate among the staff and the players. So I will say this. Go rebs and I hope that they do well this season, although I'm not gonna quote me on
2: that one. Oh it's on the air now. It is <laughs> it is sealed and locked in for for all of history and time. And so I too am an old Miss Rebels where I went to college and where I uh uh, continued to have the red and blue all over my house and in my backyard, so that made me uh, made me happy as well. But you know, any progress toward getting vaccinations uh, in you know in is where we want to be. But that, that was great to to see and hear as well there.
1: I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app
2: Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. We're taking your questions and comments today uh, related to COVID and then, of course, anything health and wellness related that you would like to talk about. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. Our email is Fit at mpbonline.org. And also over on Facebook, you can go to Healthy Habits with Josie and leave me a message there. Uh, before the break, uh, we had a caller who called in and said there was a link on the MSDH website. And so over the break, I went to see, uh, see what it was. And it is, uh, when you go to the MSDH website and you click on vaccination against COVID-19, there is a little button that says lost your vaccination card. When you click on that, it does take you to the a link to that website that we talked about, the myirmobile.com. Um, so that is um, a great uh, option there. And then there's also a phone number listed. That way, if there is something incorrect on that vaccination record, you can um, you can speak to someone about that there. All right.
3: Hey, Josie. Yeah. We have got two callers holding, so let's start first with Eric from Liberty.
2: All right. Good morning, Eric. What can we do for you?
3: Hey, Dr. Josie. Uh, I uh, got a question.
5: we always hearing about uh, uh, people being, you know, a lot of folks having to be admitted to ICU, and we know it's expensive and stuff. Could you enlighten us on, like, uh, the cost? of what it costs to maybe treat some of the COVID-19 patients and also uh, who is going to have to absorb this cost? Is it the patient, Mm -hmm. all of it?
0: Yeah.
2: So big question, and I don't have real specific answers for you there um, because I don't know exactly what it costs. It's going to depend on a lot of things, right? It's going to depend on how long you stay in the ICU, it's going to depend on what kind of ventilation you require, Require right? What, um, you know, high flow oxygen or actually uh, intubation with mechanical ventilation. biotap is another option. And then you've got all these other things that, that COVID is causing, like uh, renal failure. And so if you have to go on dialysis for that. Um, So there's a lot of factors uh, to play in there. So I would be doing you a disservice if I tried to just quote you a number off the top of my head. What I can do is take a little look around and dig around and see if I can find an average uh, cost for hospitalization per day uh, for um, ICU COVID patients. But I would imagine it's going to be very, very, very variable, uh, depending on which types of medications you require and how long your stay is there. Mm.
5: But but as far as the, who, you, As far as this cost, the cost of whatever it may be, let's just say, hypothetically, it might be $30,000, mm-hmm. you know, but okay, now, is a person the the patient going to be responsible for having to pay for all that?
2: And that's a again another answer I just don't have for you. Um, again, that's going to depend probably on a state by state basis, and in terms of what uh, you know what the insurers are covering and different different things at that time. So again, I got I got very little information for you on that, but I will um, I will look into it and see what I can find, and I'll always update you guys when I come back on the air for any information that I find or post it out on social media so that you can see. But it was a great question.
5: Yeah, but we. <laughs> It makes it should make people want to get motivated and stuff because it's got a high dollar to it. I know it's, that.
2: It's, it's expensive. It's going to be expensive. Um, you know, this, it's very high-level uh, intense care that's required for these individuals. So thank you for giving me a call today.
3: Let's uh, stay on the phone lines, Josie. Next, we're going to go uh-huh. to Bill in Hattiesburg.
2: Good morning, Bill. How can we help you?
0: Yes. Uh I'm a senior citizen, had both of my COVID shots in mid-January, uh, mid-February, the Moderna vaccine, mm-hmm. and I have CLL, which I've had for a number of years, Should I consider getting a booster shot, is my question.
4: You,
2: I'm sorry, you have a, a what that you've had for many years?
0: I had C-L-L
4: for a number of years.
2: Uh, C-L-L. Gotcha, gotcha. That's a great question, and uh, it's actually one that I've gotten on Facebook a fair amount this morning as well um, about booster doses. And so um, if you go that same place that we mentioned a minute ago, when you go to the Mississippi State Department of Health and you click on COVID vaccinations, there is also Uh a button that says, is a booster dose for you? And so there are a list of things there as well that says if you have a medical condition that may affect your immune system, you should speak with your individual health care provider, right? Because okay. they've got, got your medical record there to determine if you would be at risk. Given the medical history that you just gave me, I absolutely think it's worth having that conversation with your healthcare care provider um, to be okay. about a, a third dose there. Um, okay. A lot of the, the high-risk groups that we've kind of been given some direction about are things um, like recent treatment for solid tumor or blood cancers, um, uh, A stem cell transplant or a solid organ transplant, um, some type of immune efficiency, um, advanced or untreated HIV, Um, if you're on immunosuppressant medications like chemotherapeutics or um, some of the biologic agents that we use for things like rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's and that kind of stuff, or high-dose corticosteroids, all of those would be indications to begin that conversation. Um, All right. Absolutely. So great question, and thank you so much for, for bringing that out today because I absolutely wanted to cover it. Thank you. You're welcome.
3: Got one more caller, Josie. Now we'll say good okay. morning to John in Meridian.
2: Hello, John. How can we help you?
5: Yes. Uh, I am a recently uh, dialysis patient. Okay. And they're speaking. To, uh, right now they're doing the treatment through my uh, catheter with my chest. Uh-huh. And I want to know, can I do that, keep that, uh, keep that treatment on a permanent basis through the catheter instead of going through my arm? It's much more, it's more, much more comfortable for me. And, uh, you know, I just don't, I just don't enjoy the stick. I don't know nobody does, but that's my question. Mm-hmm.
2: Did they, is, are you talking about a, an access spot in your <laughs> neck or did they do a tunnel catheter, um, underneath that? Uh, and, uh, uh
5: access through my neck.
2: And through your neck, yeah. So usually they don't leave those for for long term, just because there's a greater section and and things like that through that particular act, um, part there. So usually, usually they are not They would usually recommend moving to a different, uh, getting a different fistula placed. Um, you had a fistula in one arm.
5: I did, and it, it didn't work. They had to do resurgery on that.
2: Uh-huh. Uh
5: huh. And uh, it's uh, it's going to take some time before they be able to do it. Now I've had this in been, since January, since January yeah. with no complication, but I, yeah. want to, I want to, I want to, I want to keep it on a permanent basis. I just want to little <laughs> the of doing that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you know, risks of any type of having a, a an external kind of line because you still have the tubes that are hanging out the top, correct?
5: Correct. That's right. Yeah.
2: So you know, infection would be the the biggest kind of risk that we would be looking at there um, because that's a direct line into your kind of central vasculature and so you know really good care of the site and really good care um, you know to prevent infection would be the biggest issue that we would have going on um, there so in terms of you know could you move to that permanently that's going to be again a decision that's going to have to be made with your nephrologist right um, based off of your other you know the issues that you had with your previous fistula as well as um you know just other kind of medical issues that you have and go have going on your immune system and those kinds of things but you know it's always appropriate to discuss those things with your treating provider to see you know how that would affect you in particular well
5: what's the, okay I, 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 he you know he discussed all that with me and I understand I but but I'm just saying, what what's the percentage factor of me getting infected? Is it high or low or
2: what? I do not have – I would not be able to tell you any specific, um, you know, kind of percentage for that because it's, it's going to be based on lots of different things, not just uh, one kind of point measurement in time. So I can't tell you exactly what your risk would be for developing infection.
5: Well, yeah, you know, because uh, uh, –
2: Think
3: we lost him? Did I lose you? Uh, Yeah, Josie. Let's uh, let's move on. If uh, if John needs to call back in, he can. But right now, let's go to Mary, who's called in from Tate County.
2: All right. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Where's Tate County? Uh, Northwest. Okay. All right. Well, what's going on in Tate County today that we can help you with? How do you go about getting a booster? Excellent question. And so the best place to start is with your primary care provider, okay? Some of them may be administering those or may be able to write a prescription for you to get one at some of the pharmacies or some of the community sites that you're being, um, you know, that are that are out there for that. But they're going to be your primary point of contact, especially if you don't fit into one of those kind of con- categories that I mentioned earlier. Um, it can be, you know, at the... Um, discretion of the clinician if they feel you're okay. high risk and and need okay. to get a booster shot yep. thank, thank you very much you're most welcome thank you for giving us a call do we have another caller on the line kevin nope
3: no one's called okay. in right now
2: all right good I, well not good i definitely want to talk to you guys but i do want to um, give a little bit more guidance about that booster some things to be thinking about is um if you're going to go for a booster then, um, you should wait four weeks after the last dose of the original vaccine series. Okay. And so right now we, um, that would be your, um, mRNA vaccines. And so after you do your first dose, uh, then the second dose is usually three to four weeks after that, depending on which, uh, mRNA vaccine you are using. And then the booster would occur four weeks after that final dose there. Um, and so that's just important to keep in mind when you're considering um, asking about a booster uh, vaccine there. Um, and it, you, we shouldn't switch, right? So if the original series was with Pfizer, then the recommendation is to consider using the same manufacturer, right? So if you received dose one and two of Pfizer, you would receive dose three. Um, as Pfizer. Same deal for Moderna. Uh, we don't have any direction yet in terms of Johnson & Johnson and, um, you know, how that would be boosted or even if it uh, would need to be boosted there. So, um, that, that's kind of uh, that. So, we, there are a little bit of guidance that says if Johnson & Johnson was given that we could consider using the Pfizer, Um, vaccine, but that would be on, you know, again, an individual discussion with your health care provider about the need for that um, booster there. Uh, But there's lots of great information over on the health department website. That is msdh.ms.gov. Click on the button that says vaccinations for COVID-19, and there is a button that asks if uh, if your booster is right for
1: you. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We've been answering your questions today related to COVID 19. It is a the big pressing health issue we have before us here in Mississippi, and it's my pledge to always give you evidence-based information uh, related to that to hopefully help you make an informed decision about your health care. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is 1877MPB ring28776727464. Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. And you can go over to Facebook, Healthy Habits with Josie, and drop me a message there if you're more comfortable doing it that way. And we have gotten um, a fair amount of questions that have come in this morning from that. A lot of them have been related to um, booster shots, and uh, the health department website is a great place to go for um, additional information on that if you didn't catch what we what we mentioned uh, to start with. Uh, and that is msdh.ms.gov if you need to go to that website there. All right, Kevin, we got anybody waiting?
3: Yeah, we do. We've got uh, two calls waiting. We'll start with Karen in Collierville, Tennessee.
2: Good morning, Karen. How can I help you? Uh, Yes, I'm trying to find out. My husband and I both are getting over COVID. Uh, We both were vaccinated with the Moderna vaccine back okay. in February and March. This last week, while we both had the uh, virus, we did get the, uh, is it called, monoclonal uh, yes, Antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. And I'm trying to find out how that affects or if it affected at all the immunity that I have from my vaccine. No. Um, so, and that's a great point to, to point out because I did have somebody ask uh, over the break if they it was a question about whether they needed a booster or not or when they could get a booster. And I asked about monoclonal antibody infusion. So if you had not been vaccinated and you had received monoclonal antibody infusion, you would need to wait 90 days after that infusion of monoclonal antibody um, before you received vaccination. But since you were already vaccinated, um, it was perfectly appropriate for them to go ahead and give you that monoclonal and it should not affect the the functionality of the vaccine. Okay. That's what I need to know. That's something that was going to neutralize the, uh, those antibodies. We're going to fight against the antibodies of the vaccine. So no, no, no. You're good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Right, we've got another caller. Yep. We
3: do indeed. We've got Susan from Ocean Springs.
2: All right. Good morning, Susan. How can I help you today? Uh, I have a follow-up question to the gentleman who was talking about the cost for treatment of okay. covid Okay. Many many of the people who are being treated now are unvaccinated. So, is it possible that their insurance companies would be able to refuse to cover their coverage because it was preventable? Um, currently, I do not think that that is an option. Of course, uh, I don't know what all individual insurance policies are covering, but You know, there are various reasons that people may not uh, have been vaccinated, you know, an allergic reaction to the first dose and can't receive the second dose or, um, you know, receiving, um, you know, an immunosuppression that they got vaccinated but didn't make antibodies based off of that, too young to vaccinate, a whole host of things that I think would be, um, you know, be really difficult to, to employ that. And, of course, as a healthcare provider, uh, my duty is to care for everyone, uh, regardless of a uh, vaccination status or uh, or ability to pay me. Um, my job is just to take care of folks who are seeking treatment. So, uh. but someone will have to pay for that care. Is that correct? Again, I'm not going to put out information. That I'm just, I don't I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I'm, I'm just. Yeah, so I don't know the answer to who the actual bill will fall to in folks that are unvaccinated or in folks that may be uninsured. Um, I will do some um, looking into the information that is out there related to COVID and uh, how the payers are responding to that, and I'll post that information when I have something available. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a good day. All right, Kevin, any more?
3: Uh, Nope, it's all yours for the rest
2: of the hour. All right, all me. I just had another question come in um, that asked about contact with somebody that's positive. So this individual is fully vaccinated, but was exposed to someone who is positive. Um, What do they need to do in terms of that? So excellent question again I'll direct you to the MSDH website as it has a great um, breakdown of of how to handle uh, an exposure to someone that's positive the questions that I usually then follow up with is what is the nature of the exposure right was it just a brief exposure and you both were masked. Um, with you being uh, fully vaccinated and all parties masked in a brief encounter, the risk of transmission is very, very low. Um, if this is a, a household contact, a family member uh, where you spend large chunks of your time together in close quarters inside, eating and drinking and you know, doing lots of other things that are, are known for spreading uh, the droplets around, then that's going to significantly uh, increase the risk of transmission that you have there. So usually um, uh, the, a test you would be, requ- be you would be asked to test yourself if you had had that um, type of contact. And the best time to test is about day three to five following exposure. Uh, When COVID first, original type COVID, uh, when we talked about the incubation period or the amount of uh, time between uh, the point of infection and the development of symptoms, it was a pretty broad incubation time, somewhere between two and 14 days, with the average being somewhere between five to seven days for people to develop symptoms. With uh, the Delta variant, which is the predominant circulating variant that we have right now, uh, you've got a little bit kind of shorter time to symptom onset, somewhere between three to five days is uh, is the symptom. Doesn't mean you can't show symptoms sooner. Doesn't mean you can't show symptoms later. That's why we still have that uh, longer quarantine in place um, for folks. But a test on about days three to five um, is pretty doggone good for picking up on infection if you're going to be symptomatic, especially if that was, you're no longer exposed to that individual, right? You were exposed to them on Monday and you haven't been around them anymore. And we test, you know, three to five days later and it's negative and you're asymptomatic. Um, you're, you're pretty good there. But if you are waiting on a test, right? Like you are waiting to get your test done or waiting on the results of the test, you should quarantine until you have those results back. Um, because we don't want to be spreading, uh, spreading it while we're waiting on the results of the test to return. A lot of people ask me about the uh, rapid tests versus the PCR. The gold standard is still going to be a PCR. So you can um, get a rapid, but if it is negative and you develop symptoms, um or you're just still really concerned about it, retesting with another rapid in about twenty four to thirty-six hours is a good idea um, just to make sure that you're not missing that. Uh, there are also some home kits available. Binax Now is one um, that is made by Abbott uh, that you can get at Walgreens Kroger, you know, any of those areas. It is a rapid test and it has all the pitfalls of a rapid rapid test as well as you know, operator error, making sure that you swab effectively enough in your nose, put the, the correct amount of, of um, uh, reagents on the strips and let it fit for the appropriate amount of time. So if anywhere in you, you think you actually have COVID and that rapid test is negative or that at-home test is negative, then confirmation with a PCR test is the way to go there um, to make sure that you get an accurate diagnosis. All right. Um had one other um, question that came in and asked how do how are we testing for the delta variant and so delta variant to, to know what actual variant you would have requires actual sequencing of the genetic material and so a rapid test is absolutely not going to tell you that it's just going to tell you um uh, presence of antigen or not there. The, P- the regular PCR is also not going to tell you the specific um, variant that is there. It's just that there's SARS-CoV-2 uh, material present in that sample. And so a uh, AC a certain set of those samples, like a a random sampling of samples that are positive are then sent um, for uh, analysis of the actual uh, genetic variant that could be causing it. And the health department, again, puts that information out on um, their website. They've got it in a great It used to be in a big spreadsheet, which was a little hard to read. They've got it in a great graph and chart now that shows actually kind of the changeover. Uh, I think blue uh, bars were the um, alpha variants that we were uh, predominantly having. And then now the changeover to the Delta variant, which they're representing with a gold bar, I believe, or a yellow bar the last time I looked at that.
3: Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can... Please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app.